Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. Good morning, Sunrise Church. Once again, how you doing this morning? Give God a hand clap. How you doing this morning? All right. Don't get quiet now. Amen. I'm so excited about today. I don't know about you, but we've been in this series, and it's been so amazing for me. Has this series changed anyone's life so far? Asking for a friend. And in week one, we talked about uh, faith in Christianity, and what we said was every person is a person of faith. The question is, what are you putting your faith in? Last week, we talked about gender and sexuality, and we, we simply said that there's two different sides to that coin. On one side is what the Bible declares, and it's truth, and then we have what culture says. So what we've done is we put both of those in front of you and said, now you grapple with that. So today, we're going to talk about uh, the race and the church. Uh, then next week, we're going to finish up with uh, men and women in the church. So as we said, Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. As we talk about race in the church, make sure we keep that same mindset. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place uh, because we're dealing with topics that's sensitive. However, we need to answer these questions for culture. And I'm so excited because I have my friend. But... Let me sit down. So, let me get comfortable. This is Dr. Orge, but he's just not that to me. He is the, the president of Gateway Seminary here in Ontario. Um, he's, my, he's one of my mentors, but I see him closely as a friend. Right. Um, and I'm so glad he's with us today because... I'm going to allow him to tackle this, but I want to talk about Gateway Seminary. Gateway Seminary is a multicultural, multi-ethnic church, and it's uh, not church. It's a seminary, not just here locally, but it actually spans globally. So I'm going to let him talk about that for a sec, but I also want him to talk about uh, that other thing. Dr. Sure. Orge. Hey, Anthony wanted me to say a couple of things about my uh, work and background to give you, those of you who've never met me before, uh, an opportunity to know who I am. Uh, first of all, like Anthony said, I'm the president of Gateway Seminary. Uh, Gateway is uh, located primarily here in the Inland, Inland Empire, but we have actually uh, five campuses and then a huge online learning community, which gives us about 2,000 students globally. Now, among those 2,000 students, about 65% of them are non-Anglo students. And our creditors, uh, secular creditors actually, have called us the most multicultural seminary in the, in the United States. And we're, we're grateful for that. And our multiculturalism is reflected in our faculty, which are Anglo and African-American and Korean and Chinese, and our, and our employee base, which is also similarly diverse. And then Anthony asked me to talk about that other thing, which I think he's talking about my church relationship. You know, when I moved here a few years ago, uh, I joined Mount Zion Church of Ontario. And Mount Zion is a unique church. It's a historic African-American congregation. It just celebrated its 100th anniversary this summer. Uh, what's cool about it is we, we joined about, five, or about six years ago, and 
uh, we've been serving there these years, my wife and I. And then last year, uh, the church asked me if I would become the first Anglo elder in the history of the church. Uh, the church is really working hard to become more multicultural, and a part of that is changing its leadership structure. And so about a year ago, I became an elder in a historically black church, which is a really new experience for them and certainly a new one for me as well. Amen, amen. Let me ask you a personal question. Why did you choose to join Mount Zion? Church? Really three reasons. Uh, we joined Mount Zion, first of all, because it's a church, that, a, a church that bases its ministry on the Bible. That was really important for us. And then second, we joined because it's a church that's making a significant impact in its community. It's astounding the number of things we're doing and the lives that are being touched by our church. But third, uh, I really wanted to get personally involved with ending some of the black-white divide in the American church and really in our country. And while I've always had a multicultural ministry footprint wherever I've worked and served, I saw this as an opportunity to get more personally engaged with the African-American community and especially with African-American leaders, and that's certainly what's happened over these last several years. Amen. Give Dr. Orch a hand clap. Amen. So again, as you know, the way how this goes is as we begin to talk, if you have any questions, please text question at 909-281-7797, 909-281-7797. There we have someone that's actually getting the questions and he is sending them to me on my iPad. Now we can't answer everyone's question today, but what we've been doing is uh, on Wednesdays we have a six o'clock um, that we uh, go live on sunrisechurch.org. And on Thursdays, we send out the other questions or answers to your questions through our newsletter. So if you have a question, we're not going to get to them today. We can't, but we will answer your questions throughout the week, okay? So please, as we go and have this dialogue, please uh, text it or go to our website and click it. Amen? All right. Ready to get started? I'm ready. All right. This is the first question. Is critical race theory... What is critical race theory, and should Christians follow it? What is critical race theory, and should Christians follow it? Well, the answer to the first question is critical race theory is a theory that's emerged out of something called critical theory, which is an academic construct from the late 20th century. It expresses itself in critical race theory, critical queer theory, critical feminism theory. It expresses itself in a lot of different varieties, but it's a philosophy or a worldview uh, created in the academy to try to explain a lot of uh, social constructs and especially in the case of CRT, explain uh, the ways racism impacts culture, expresses itself in systems, and then uh, proposes some solutions or some ways that it can be better managed. And then the second question, should Christians embrace it? Well, I'm going to give a very direct answer and then I'm going to give a two, two or three comments about that. And my very direct answer is no. I don't think we should embrace critical race theory, and I want to now talk about what that means. First, when I say no, that doesn't mean we should shut down conversations about race, racism, systemic racism, enculturated racism. These are very significant issues, both in the church and the culture. And so saying that we don't affirm this particular theory should not mean that we try to shut down those conversations. But the second reason I say no is because I find it to be uh, I find it to be uh, really um, impractical and, and even impossible, honestly, to accept a secular theory 
as the foundation for our ministry decisions. You know, at our, church, at our school and, and probably here in your church, you've already rejected other secular theories. You've rejected the theory of evolution in favor of biblical creation. And you've rejected the theory of gender fluidity, which you've talked about last week, in favor of a biblical standard of male and female. And so when I say we're setting aside a secular theory, I, I'm simply saying that we have a better foundation for our ministry than secular theory, and that's the Bible, the Word of God, which reveals truth to us and communicates to us how to solve these serious problems. And another issue for me is I want, a, I want a solution to these problems that addresses the global problem of racism. Uh, not just the black-white divide in our country, but racism as it expresses itself around the world. And because I work in a global community, I can tell you that racism is present in every culture, in every co context, on every continent, and we have to have a solution that addresses it in all its forms, not just in one particular form. Amen. And that form is the gospel of Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. Amen. So, so when we begin to talk about theory and the Word of God, I would love for you to expand on what you mean by that. I'd love to do that. And to do that, I'd like to invite all of you uh, to turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Because what I'd like to do in the next few minutes is show you one passage of Scripture that directly addresses the issue of racism and more than addresses it theoretically or even theologically it addresses it practically by giving you instructions as a Christian about what you can do personally to deal with the problem of racism in our culture. Join me in Colossians chapter 3, and let's break into the reading at verse 11. The Bible says this, In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. Now, let's stop right there and consider this first part of the text. This passage declares that we now have unity in Jesus Christ because of what the gospel has done in transforming us as Christians. Notice what it says. In Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, meaning all racial differences have been overcome. There is not circumcision and uncircumcision, meaning all religious differences have been overcome. There isn't barbarian or Scythian, meaning all culture or class distinctions have been overcome. And there is no slave or free, meaning no legal status differences now exist among us as Christians. These are four dramatic declarations of the unity we now have in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, all racial distinctions have been set aside. All religious distinctions have been overcome. All class and cultural distinctions have been set aside. And all legal differences, legal status differences have been overcome by the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the good news of the gospel as it addresses the issues of race and racism in our culture. We have the capacity in Christ to rise above these things and live differently because of our relationship to God through Jesus Christ. But there's more. Look at the next phrases. Therefore, the Bible says, as God's chosen ones. Now, this is borrowing language from the Old Testament. 
Even if you're not very familiar with the Old Testament, you may know this much, that the Old Testament is the record of God dealing with his chosen people, Israel. And this passage is saying, just as God has always had a chosen people, he now specifically has another chosen people, a new chosen people. He has us as believers in Jesus Christ that he has chosen and made one in him. And the great thing this does for us is it raises and establishes our value and the value we hold each other in relationship because of of both of us knowing Jesus Christ. Look, You're chosen, I'm chosen, we're all chosen by God in Jesus Christ. And that establishes the value that we ascribe to every one of us. But there's even a little more. Notice what the next phrases say. Holy and dearly loved. Holy love. Now, if you came out to Gateway Seminary and took a class in theology, eventually the professor would lecture on something called the doctrine of God. And in teaching you the doctrine of God, he would say that God's character can be generally described in two broad categories. God is holy and God is love. And God is the only being in the universe who can hold holiness and love mutually and simultaneously together in one person. You're not like that. Some days you're holy, some days you're love. But when you try to mix them together, it's a challenge, isn't it? But God is holy and love. But now look how you're described here. He says, you are holy and loved. What does he say by this? That you now, as a Christian, represent the very character of God. And not only do you represent that, but you represent it to each other. So let me put the whole package together. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, all distinctions have been overcome There are no racial distinctions. There are no uh, religious distinctions. There are no cultural distinctions. There are no legal distinctions. You are now, all of you, God's chosen people. And because of that, you are holy and loved, meaning that you even represent God in who he is, in his character, to each other in relationship. That is the gospel, my friends, and how it transforms us. But now you're thinking, all right, that sounds nice. That sounds nice. But how do I make that work every day? Well, let's keep reading. The Bible then says this, in light of all that I've just taught you, put on. Now let's stop there. Put on. That word is the same word that's used to describe putting on your clothes in the morning. So this morning I got up and I put on some clothes before I came to church. And you are glad I did. (laughs) Old man body is not something you want to see. So I got up this morning and I put on clothes. Why? So I could represent myself to you more appropriately. So you would be able to receive from me communication and message. So there wouldn't be any distractions in our relationship. So that we would have the kind of connection we want to have today. Put on. I made an intentional choice to put something on that was going to guide, uh, put something on that was going to represent how I was going to relate to you today. Now let's keep reading. In light of this unity you have in Jesus Christ, put on these qualities: compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 
This means every morning you get up and you say, Lord, today I'm putting on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience in my relationships with other people. Certainly in my relationships with my family, with my community, but in the context of this passage and this message, certainly in context with people who don't necessarily look like me, I'm going to relate to them with these five qualities. Now, sometimes a preacher will say, to understand the Bible, we need to bore down into the deep meaning of the words. At the seminary, we call this studying the etymology of the word. We go down into the deep meaning of the word, its root meaning, where it came from, what language it originated, uh, the, the kinds of ways the word is used outside the Bible, the kinds of ways the word is used in other contexts. And sometimes you have to study a word in great detail to really understand what it means. Good news for you. That is not necessary this morning. Look at these words. Compassion. You know what that looks like. Kindness. You know what that is. Humility, gentleness, and patience, you know what these words mean. Listen, church, the problem is not defining these words. The problem is doing these words. We know what these words look like. We know compassion when we see it. We know kindness when we demonstrated it. We know humility when it's in the lives of people around us. We know what these words mean. The challenge is not in defining them. The challenge is in doing them. To live out the unity we have in Jesus Christ, first step, put on these qualities every day and determine, I am going to treat other people this way. But there's more. Drop down to verse 14. Above all, put on. There's that word again. Same word, put on. It's separated in the text and, and added as an addendum, it seems, because there's an emphasis being placed here what are we supposed to put on in verse 14? Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Now watch this. Some of you are old enough to remember an old vacation Bible school song. If you remember the last word in the lyrics, you fill it in for me. Are you ready? His banner over me is? A lot of you went to vacation Bible school when you were a child. His banner over me is love. That little children's song is based on this verse. So here's what the Bible says. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, and then pick up a banner of love and fly it over your life and walk through life demonstrating these five qualities and flying a banner of love over everything you do and every relationship you have. Put on these qualities. But now here's what you're thinking. Okay, I got that. But what about the people who didn't come to Sunrise Church today and don't treat me that way back? <laughs> what do I do about those people? Let's keep going. Verse 13. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Now, these are I-N-G words, bearing, forgiving, and that means they have continued action, meaning that you bear with and you keep bearing with and you keep on bearing with and you forgive and you keep forgiving and you keep on forgiving people who don't treat you back the way you treat them. 
bearing with and forgiving. Now, let me translate bearing with for you. It means put up with. Now, I know that because as a child, I heard my mother say often, I don't know how I'm going to put up with you. Now, my mother was a West Texas ranch woman and fairly plain spoken. And she was frustrated by three habits I had as a child. Number one, I chewed my fingernails. Number two, I picked my nose. And number three, I talked constantly. I am happy to report I've successfully overcome two of those problems. (laughs) I turned the third one into a career choice. (laughs) But my mother would say when she was trying to get me to stop those offensive habits as a child, I am so tired of you doing this, I don't know how I'm going to put up with you another day longer. But the good news is she did. Because she knew that in putting up with me, she was giving me time to grow, time to learn, time to mature. And she was acknowledging that someday I would get where I needed to be if she would just what? Put up with me a little while longer. That's what bearing with means. It means putting up with. Now, here's a newsflash for some of you. You're thinking, yeah, that's me. I have to bear with everybody. Well, here's a newsflash. For some people, you're the annoying one. (laughs) It was a hard day when I realized that some days I'm the reason this verse is in the Bible. (laughs) That people have to actually bear with me while I'm growing and learning and changing and developing. And when I'm having a bad day and say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, people around me have to what? Put up with it. They have to bear with me, and you have to do the same thing. But then there's another one, forgiving one another. And this one's particularly difficult because what's the qualifier added at the end of the verse? Forgiving one another, how much? Just as the Lord has forgiven you, you are also to forgive. You know, there are certain phrases and verses in the Bible that it would just been so much easier if they'd just been left out. (laughs) This is one of them. I'm to forgive how much? As much as the Lord has forgiven me? Now think about that. When I think about the vileness and the evil and the awful things I've done in my lifetime, and I think about how the Lord has forgiven me over and over and over and over again, it seems an almost impossible standard, doesn't it? And yet it's the standard here in Scripture. How much are you supposed to forgive? As much as the Lord has forgiven you. How often are you to forgive? As often as the Lord has forgiven you. And so, to live out this unity we have in Jesus Christ, we get up every day and we say, in my relationship with others, particularly people who are different than me, I'm going to demonstrate compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and I'm going to fly the banner of love over my life and when they don't treat me back the way I'm treating them I'm going to bear with them giving them room to grow and change and develop and I'm going to forgive them as much as the Lord has forgiven me I'm going to forgive them over and over and over and over again well you're now thinking but what about those really difficult ones 
the hard moments, the tough situations. Let's keep reading. Verse 15, and let the peace of Christ to which you were also called in one body rule your hearts. The word rule is the word that could also be translated umpire or referee or make the call. So this verse says, in those really difficult moments when you're bearing with and forgiving and it's hard, you let peace make the call. Lord, what will bring, what will bring peace in this moment, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to decide. That's how I'm going to act. Lord, I will be a peacemaker. Now you're thinking, well, does that mean peace at any cost? And the answer to that is no. Now this is a short sermon this morning, so I don't have time to develop these ideas, but let me just simply say that there's at least three examples in the Bible that I could give you this morning when we are told to break the peace. But listen carefully, even the fact that there are those examples proves my point because those three examples all say break the peace with an unruly person so that you can do what? Get back to being at peace. You break the peace so you can get back to the peace. You deal with the situation so you can get it behind you and move on, getting back to the standard of peace that we're supposed to be living by. And so even those examples underscore the point of this verse, which is when you come up with a really difficult situation that you're bearing with and forgiving and doing all you can in that moment, still choose peace. And even if you have to break the peace for a short time, do so so that you can deal with the issue and hopefully restore the peace and move forward again together. And then there's one last little phrase here that I, I almost left out, but I just couldn't. Let's look at it. The end of verse 15, it says, and be thankful. And be thankful. I believe that in the context of this passage, what it's saying is this. Learn to be thankful for people who are different than you that bring something to your life. He says, we have all this unity that's overcome all these divisions. Now, live like it and then be thankful for it. Isn't it wonderful to thank God for the people who are different than us and how they've enriched our lives and taught us new things and given us different insights and showed us that our way is not always the right way and our perspective is not always the, sanct the, 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 the only perspective and that it's important to learn and be grateful for the people God has brought into our lives. So, I believe the gospel and actually living it out is the best cure for racism in our culture. Amen. And specifically for those of us who are Christians, we have the opportunity to demonstrate what it means to be in Christ, to put on these qualities every day and act like it, to bear with and forgive those who are struggling with us and we're struggling with them, to let peace make the determination in difficult circumstances and to walk around with an attitude of gratitude saying, I'm thankful for the people God has brought into my life that are different than me with a different perspective, different background, different point of view. And from all of that, I've learned and grown and become a better follower of Jesus because of the diversity that he's allowed me to live in in Jesus Christ. That's why I think the gospel is the best solution to racism today. Amen. Amen. You see why he's my mentor? <laughs> Amen. I love how you framed uh, uh, and set the foundation because at the end of the day, family, love is going to get us through. Yeah. 
And the love that we're talking about is agapeo or unconditional love, which means you have to look past all of uh, people's faults and insecurities and habits for the greater good of Jesus Christ. Amen. So as we continue to go, remember, text question at 909-281-7797, and I will get those on here. So I have our second question. Okay. Get ready for this one. If Christianity is a solution to racism, why did Christians enslave African Americans? The answer, again, is short and direct, and then I'll expand it a bit. The answer is sin. Christians did sinful things in enslaving African Americans. It was evil, it was wrong, it was despicable, and there's no defense for it. And that's why I've been a part of groups that have expressed lament and regret and repentance to say what happened was wrong. And we have to move on from it and learn from it, but not repeat those mistakes again. Now, let's put that in a little broader context. Christians still do sinful things. Pastors still commit adultery. Christian businessmen still fall into the traps of cheating their customers. Church members gossip and backbite and cause division. I mean, various levels and layers, and none of these, of course, I think rise to the level of sin of what you're describing, but all I'm simply trying to do is make the point. Christians do sinful things. And when we recognize it, we have to confront it and call it what it is and own it and then move on from it. And quite frankly, what happened in this country is, is evil. It's despicable. It, it, it was wrong. And there's no justification for any Christian who said it was right. There's just none. But nevertheless, it is, and we have to learn from it and move on from it. Yes, and I think I would add to that. I think we all look through the lenses of our own experiences, right. our own culture. So, yes, I'm African-American, but if I was to look at this text again, or this question, I'm sorry, if Christian is the solution to racism, why should Christians enslave, you fill in the blank, Native Americans, Hispanics, any of that point? Right. So, at the end of the day, it should not be happening. Right. So, what I love, and I love how you brought up Colossians, because Paul is challenging the church to say, hey, don't be like them. We are not nor the this or that. Your new identity is in Christ. I'm a Christian who happens to be an African-American or I'm a Christian who happens to be Hispanic or native or Asian. So your identity is in Christ. Doesn't mean you forget it, ignore it. That's part of who God made you to be. That's that richness. Uh, Dr. George is talking about us coming together and really learning from each other experiences. It's true. And the the, the issue of racism is a global problem, but the, but the unity we have in Jesus Christ is also a global blessing. You know, in my work as a seminary president, I've been able to travel and speak in different countries and different locations and di different places. And it's uncanny that I step off an airplane in a country where I've never been before, and Christian brothers greet me at the airport, and I already feel a closer kinship to them than I feel to non-Christians in my own country who don't understand what I believe or stand for. And so this unity we have in Jesus Christ does transcend all these barriers and gives us a sense of, uh, of brotherhood and sisterhood that we just simply can't find anywhere else. And that's one of the beautiful things about the global church is how we come together in Jesus Christ. That's beautiful. And remember, 
we can do it on our own. It's the Holy Spirit that works within us for us to make these connections and all of those things. Yeah. Uh, here's another question. I am white. Should I have to apologize for racism I didn't commit? Well, I don't know what you mean by apologize, but you, you can't confess another person's sins. But you can admit those things have happened and be a voice for changing things in the culture that need to be changed to prevent racism in the future. Mm. And so I don't know what you necessarily mean by apologize. I would use the word confession. You can't confess someone else's sins, but you can't acknowledge those sins have been committed and stand up for rightness and for righteousness and for justice in changing things so that those things aren't perpetuated in the culture. Yes, yes, yes. And I would add that um, acknowledging, um, it's not apologizing. Um, so I think acknowledging that that did exist because the flip side of that could be, um, it can be so dogmatic as just get over it. Yeah. Um, you just don't get over things like that. So that right there, so it's being sensitive. Um, um, but that works both ways. Well, I, if I could say, yes, sir. you know, for example, uh, when recent issues happened in our country where white police officers uh, were, were abusive, even criminally convicted for actions toward black men, I, I, did, I did not, to my African-American friends, I did not confess the sins of those officers or, or, or claim them as my own. But I did go to my friends and say, what can, I, what can you teach me about this? What's happening right now? How can I learn from this? What can we do better in our culture to prevent this from happening again? How can I acknowledge the reality of the pain you're living through as an African-American man right now? And what can I do as your friend to stand with you in this? So it's not the same as confessing someone else's sin or taking a responsibility for something you didn't do. It's stepping up to a brother and saying, you're my brother. You matter to me. This is hurting you. What can I do to help you? That's what it's really more about for me. Amen. Amen. And again, we can't just narrow it down to black and white. Right. Okay, it's a global issue, and we need to have a global solution. That's, that, that's the gospel of Jesus. I'm glad you said that because this brings in another question. How do I relate with other ethnicities without being offensive? The best thing to do is make a friend, and I mean a real friend, that you can have a conversation with about these issues. You know, I have friends in the African-American community, uh, Greg and A.V. and Tony and uh, Brian. Those are four friends that I could call right now, and they'd take my call, and we could talk about any issue because we built a friendship, in some cases, uh, a friendship that's gone on for 15, 20 years. I have friends like that in the Korean community. Uh, my, David is my closest Korean friend, and he and I can have these serious conversations about what's happening and why it's happening and issues related to the Korean community. I have similar friends in the, in the Chinese community, in the Hispanic community. And it's not, these friendships have taken me, in some cases, years to build. When I say friendships, I mean these are people I have dinner with and, and go out to ball games with and, and just enjoy life with. And, and then when something happens that's difficult in the culture or difficult even in, in our community, I can say to one of these brothers, hey, I need to talk to you about this. Can you give me some perspective, some help, some direction? And I can also push back on them and say, well, I don't see it that way. And why are you feeling that way? And that kind of honest conversation is what brings me together with people from other groups and helps me to understand them. Listen, make a friend. 
If all your friends look like you, think like you, talk like you, walk like you, you need to branch out and get some different friends so that you can have this kind of richness in your life that you can go to people and actually have a conversation about things that matter without it being intimidating or threatening or feeling like you're going to hurt somebody's feelings. But you've got to have the friendship built first before you can have those conversations. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. That's so, so good. Um, and, I, and I want to put color to what Dr. Orr just talked about in my personal experience. Some know the story, some don't. Uh, we've been attending Sunrise Church for almost 15 years now, me and my wife. Um, but this wasn't my choice of worship. Uh, I come from the black experience church. I come from the gospel roots. And my wife, when we moved to Rialto, my wife said, hey, I found us the perfect church. I found the church. I said, okay, there's no perfect church, but let's see what you got. Uh, she brought me here to Sunrise. And I walked in, I sat down, but I was looking for particular things. In the black experience, the pastor has a big chair in the pool pit, and he usually has a stand with water with a, with a little napkin on top of his water. And I'm looking for the pastor, and no one was allowed in the pool pit. Uh, I didn't see the, the parking lot, the parking spot of the pastor, the first lady outside. So I'm asking, where's the pastor? Where's the pastor? So they get the singing, and I didn't know the songs. I didn't know Casting Crowns. I didn't know any of those songs. <laughs> Amen. Uh, so when they announced the pastor, let's give it up for Pastor Jay Pancrest. And he comes up. I'm like, where's the pastor? And he was white. I said, oh, no. <laughs> no. I never had a white pastor. It's no. So we got in the car, and I said, wait till we get to the house. Wait till we get to the house. Uh, my wife, you guys know my wife, she didn't let me get to the house. And I'm so thankful for her, because she said, uh, so what do you think? I said, think about what? She said, about the church. I said, absolutely not. And she said, why not? I don't know that music. Uh, 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 I'm not cool. She said, what about the people? I said, oh, the people were lovely. They were nice. She said, what about the word of God? I thought it was powerful. And she said something I'll never forget. She said, so you're talking about preference, not the gospel. That hit me in my heart. Amen. So I got home and I said, I'm, I got something for her. I'm going to call my pastor. So I called my pastor. I said the same thing. And I'm so glad you said friendship. I'm so glad he was honest with me. He said, you hypocrite, you racist. Take yourself back to that church and you sit there and you learn because God is doing something different. Amen. So I'm here because someone was honest with me and they preached the word of God in its true form. Right. What are, you, you know, uh, what are your thoughts there? I think your wife is a genius and you should... <laughs> You should listen to her more often. And I also think that you have a good, you had a good pastoral friend who was willing to confront you and tell you the truth. But I'm just grateful that, that you did come here and how God has used you in this church, Anthony. It's awesome. Amen. Um, and to end with that, you're talking about close friends. I've met so many people here my whole life since I've been here 15 years, about 15 years. And one of those individuals, he was here at the last service, but I began to start the pastoral track around 2014. And I had my first sermon here at Sunrise in 2015. And I was so nervous. I was so scared. And I, we used to have Sunday night service. I was pacing back and forth. 
And he walked up to me and he said, oh, what's wrong with you? I said, oh, doc, I'm scared. I'm scared. He said, why? You're amongst family. Mm. You mm. preach the word that God has called you to wow. preach and you do it with integrity. And that's what this is all about. So, again, if you have any questions, uh, I need you to text question at 909-281-7797. As we wrap this up, if you're honest with yourself, everyone comes in here with prejudices, with biases. The question is, is are you going to tackle those in Christ? I love that text. Nor slave, nor free. No Scythian, no Jew, non-Jew. We're all one in Christ. So I want to speak talk, first talk to those to see where you are. You first need to know whose you are, and then you need to know who you are. Whose you are, who do you belong to? Are you in the body of Christ, or are you doing your own thing? If you're doing your own thing, it's never going to work for you. It didn't work for me. It didn't work for Dr. Orr. It didn't work for our lead pastor, Steve. If you're going to be the man or the woman that God has called you to be, it's going to require that you take a bold and courageous step. And that step is accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Without doing that, nothing is going to make sense to you. So if you're in here and don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's your first step. But then you might be in here and say, Pastor, I used to follow him all the way, but somehow, some way, I drifted. I want to encourage you to get back on track. If that's you and you know who you are, you're not fooling no one but yourself, I want us all to close our eyes and bow our heads. I want you to make this personal with God. Here at Sunrise Church, we call it the ABCs of coming to Christ. You must honestly admit that you're broken. You must honestly admit that you don't have all the answers. You must honestly admit that you're a sinner. We don't like to hear that word. The truth is, that's what it is. But we have a Savior. His name is Jesus. If you believe that God sent his only begotten son just for you, and it's in that that God says, I need you to push forward with the C. And the C stands for commit. I need you to commit your life to him. If that's you and you want to make that call, I want you to say this prayer with me in the silence of your heart. It's simply, Lord, I'm broken. I'm lost. I don't know what to do. But today, I'm believing that Jesus Christ is the only way. And I now invite him into my heart. Today, I'm going to commit my life. That's my prayer. I thank you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one -one about your faith. 
You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.